Welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast, a show exploring how herbs heal as medicine, as food, and through nature connection. I'm your host, Rosalie de la Forêt. I'm an herbalist teacher and the best-selling author of the books Alchemy of Herbs and Wild Remedies. I created this podcast to share trusted herbal wisdom so that you can get the best results when relying on herbs for your health. I love offering up practical knowledge to help you dive deeper into the world of medicinal plants and seasonal living. My goal is that you'll walk away from each episode feeling inspired to start working with herbs in your everyday life. Each episode of the podcast is available on my Herbs with Rosalie YouTube channel, as well as your favorite podcast app. Transcripts and recipes for each episode can be found at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. To get the latest news as well as fun bonuses, be sure to sign up for my weekly herbal newsletter. Okay, grab your cup of tea. Let's dive in. I feel like I found a kindred spirit in this interview. Dr. Lori Doman deeply loves valerian, just like I do, and she also loves cats, just like I do. So, what else do you really need in a person? In our time together, we also chatted about what it's like to treat animals versus people, as well as our shared love of Rosemary Gladstar. And for those of you who don't already know her, Dr. Doman graduated from UPenn's Veterinary School. She's trained in herbal medicine, acupuncture, food therapy, and Bach flower essences. She received her master's from MUIH. Dr. Doman lectures on veterinary, herbal medicine, and other holistic topics. She co-created the only hands-on veterinary herbal medicine course for Western veterinary practices in the USA. She publishes in veterinary journals, and Dr. Doman is a registered herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild and a fellow of the American College of Veterinary Botanical Medicine. Well, welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast, Lori. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to have you, and I was telling you before we went on air that it's uh, exciting to meet you and that you were a special request. So somebody wrote in specially and said, please have Dr. Lori Doman on the show, and here you are. So thanks so much for saying yes. Oh, thank you, and thanks to my big fan out there. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to talk about valerian. I'm excited to talk about herbs for animals and in general. And first, I would love to just hear more about your story and how you became a plant person. So I have to start with growing up. My grandmother would take me out in her gardens and she would always make me, as she said, ooh and ah over her plants. And I really think it started there in a very subliminal way. I'm always grateful to her. She passed before I became an herbalist, and I'm kind of sad about that because I think she would have really, really appreciated it. I went to traditional vet school in the U.S., became a doctor, went through that, and it. I always wanted to be a vet. That was my goal in life, and I love being a vet, but there were parts of it that never resonated for me, and my best friend in vet school after she graduated, went on and went to a place called the Qi Institute, which is a traditional Chinese medicine veterinary university now. It's now the Qi University. And so she retrained in acupuncture and traditional Chinese herbs and all of that. And she kept saying to me, you should do this. You should do this. And I had a private practice. I was a solo practitioner and never really got around to it. Got married. My husband and I started having kids. And I was already very cautious in my practice. Like I said, you know, the big pharma thing just never really resonated for me. Mm -hmm. And 
when we started having kids and I was making my own baby food and we were really researching vaccines and looking for other options, I said to my husband, I've always said my practice is an extension of my family. If I mean that, I need to go more holistic with my practice. Mm -hmm. And my poor husband, my kids were three and one when I went back to school. Oh, wow. And I, (laughs) I was the person who said I was never going back to school again because the medicine of it really didn't resonate for me. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. to be a vet, but I didn't like my options of medicine. And so I always said I was going to do the least amount of continuing education to keep my license valid. And now my husband tells everyone, you know, my wife is a perpetual student. I haven't stopped. I am a level two Bach flower practitioner. I did acupuncture through a veterinary, international veterinary acupuncture society, which was great. And I'm glad I did it when I did it because that was five long weekends, one a month. And I immediately finished that in March and started Rosemary Gladstar's apprenticeship in April because it was the last one she was ever doing. So Mm. I really had to do it then. And I'm glad I did them in that order because when I met Rosemary and met the plants, my heart, it was just my heart. And I'm not sure I would have done the acupuncture and the Chinese medicine after because the herbs were my heart. And I'm glad I have that because I think it broadens my understanding of plants because one of the things I talk about is in veterinary medicine, at least, I think more than human but even some in human, there's Western herbs and there's Chinese herbs. And I no longer talk about Western herbs because I'm not using just herbs from the West. I talk about blending herbs into Western practices because Mm -hmm. I look at them from the Western modality of, my example is always kidney failure as opposed to a kidney yin or yin or kidney jing deficiency, which is what they would say in Chinese medicine. So I look at it as kidney failure, which is the Western mindset, but we both use Romania. So mm-hmm. I've stopped saying I do Western herbs because it's not, the herbs aren't all from the West. So understanding the traditional Chinese, and then I've gone back and I've trained in Ayurveda, which I love. So understanding the herbs from these other medicinal systems, I think makes me a better herbalist. So Hmm. it really sounds like Lori that like you went to vet school, which was your passion, but it wasn't like you weren't like, you know, like that kind of approach of just like, Oh, I'll just do my minimum continuing (laughs) ed to stay, to stay here with my license. And then you found herbs, which is like, it reignited that passion for you in a real way. Yes. I wanted to be a veterinarian. I wanted to help animals, but I didn't like the box that I learned to help them in at all. That Mm. never really worked for me. And I was a house call vet, which you're much more holistic when you're a house call vet. You're in their space, you're in their homes, you're seeing how the animals actually live, what their environment looks like, what their behavior looks like at home. It's a very different thing. And I think that in that way, you know, I was already down this path. Mm. I'm so so glad that you... We're able to embrace that. I mean, it feels like the plants were tapping on your shoulder through your grandmother already and were able to embrace that because I can just tell you're probably, I'm guessing you're a much more happier person through being able to live out this passion of herbs as well as the 
the all the animals that you get to serve as well. Absolutely. So now I teach herbalism to other veterinarians and ancillary people, you know, herbalists as well. I, you know, I, the course is at a level of medicine that's a little higher, you know, I accept I've had some herbalists as well as veterinarians and other animal related professionals. So, uh, so I've closed the private practice, but I feel like I help more animals by teaching Mm -hmm. other vets Mm -hmm. to help. So, yeah, so yeah. I'm loving that. I'm just yeah. loving it. Teaching is such an incredible service. Yes. Yes. You yes. do a lot of teaching. I do. I didn't mean to sound self-congratulatory, but <laughs> yes, no. I do. Yeah. yeah. And I do love yeah. it. It also feels like my calling. Yeah. So. Well, the herb that you've chosen for us today is valerian, which yeah. is one of my very favorite herbs, one that I turn to often. And I'm excited to hear what you have to share about valerian. It's just one of my heart herbs. It's interesting because we learn slowly over time and we always learn more. And when I first started working with valerian, I didn't even know about the paradoxical reaction to Hmm. it. And so I just used it as, you know, a calming agent for insomnia and things like that, anxiety. And I never had a bad reaction. When I learned more, I was at actually a veterinary conference and a woman's like, I can never take valerian. It always causes the paradoxical reaction. And I'm like, I've never had that with the product I make myself. I make it in glycerin and it's really nice. And she took it and she said it was the least reactive she'd ever had valerian be. And there's a vet friend of mine who says that it really doesn't matter what your medicine is. It's all about your intention. And I think Mm -hmm. so much of my heart is in valerian that it's always going to work a little better. And I have to share my son's story. I share this with everyone. When he would be going to school when he was younger, he's 20 now. Oh, my gosh. But um, he would get nervous and take valerian because he wouldn't be able to sleep. And he must have been seven or so, maybe eight. And I thought he was old enough to dose himself. So I sent him in the bathroom and I said, you know, take one squirt, one dropper full of valerian and come back to bed. And he didn't come out of the bathroom. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, taking valerian. I'm like, how much are you taking? He's like, I don't know, mommy, like four squirts. And I'm like, that's enough. Come to bed. He tells me now that he's 20. He probably took like eight squirts. (laughs) He slept very well. And of course, you know, there are no downsides to it. So he just was well rested that night. And he his quote was, you can't <laughs> trust me with the valerian, mommy. It tastes too delicious. So, Interesting. Yeah. That is not something that you often hear about valerian. Again, I make it in glycerin and most people right. say it tastes good. And, huh. you know, I know we're going to talk about my tea. And interestingly enough, I just made that tea and took the valerian out for a specific reason. And the tea was not good without the valerian. It was bitter. And I was interested that the valerian actually mellowed the flavors of the tea, which I wouldn't have known if we hadn't had to make it for a specific class without the valerian. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely my friend. Yeah. With the glycerite, you know, for years, I kind of ignored glycerites. I just, I don't know. I didn't really like glycerin and they just seem kind of weird. And I definitely like 
kind of down talked them for a while and now I'm having a glycerin like revival in my own life so I've really come to embrace them and I you know I don't feel like they work great for every plant but for the ones that they do they're just so spectacular so I'm really yeah. excited now to try valerian as a glycerite because I haven't done yeah. that please do but let me know what yeah. you think I love it yeah so, yeah yeah well let's talk about your tea since you brought it yes. up <laughs> So I have combat focused tea. It was a recipe I made, unfortunately, my practice when I had a brick and mortar, you know, full building practice was robbed at three in the morning, cops called, you know, et cetera. Oh. And, and so I had to go and there was no back door and, you know, ended up basically spending the rest of the night there and had to work the next day. Again, I was a solo practitioner, so there's nobody I can call to fill in for me. And I was oh. tired and stressed. And yeah. so I started thinking about my herbs that would be coming but that would not be sedating. Hmm. You know, I wanted to take the edge off, but, you know, I had to also focus my brain for the day. So I came up with it's ginkgo, gota cola, spearmint, linden, which is just always delicious, mm. lemon balm, and then my friend Valerian, because, mm. you know, needed to have Valerian. And again, I mean, we all know this, that Valerian's an infusible herbs, a even though it's a root. So it was a nice blend to just use as an infusion. And it's kind of been my, my signature tea since that time. Oh, interesting. Cause I would think of valerian as being more sedating, but I could see in that formula, like it, you know, bringing it to this like more well-rounded approach where it could yeah. be, you know, kind of provide that profoundly calming that you would need after an incident, like you're speaking of, but in that, yeah, it sounds like a really interesting formula, but it's still allowing for you to focus as well. Yeah. And it ends up tasting really nice. It's very mild, but it's, it's very pleasant. And, uh, you know, I've been making it and giving out the recipe for years now. So most people like it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Because yeah. yeah, that's another thing like valerian, because some people really are not into valerian, the thought of a tea is not always yeah. like the first choice. But again, you have years of recommending this tea and I'm <laughs> guessing that the formulation with linden and lemon balm makes it really lovely. I'm excited to try it. And like I said, it was so interesting when we just made it for a class without the valerian and it was actually bitter. Yeah, the valerian smooths it. It's definitely synergistic in the flavors, which again, I wouldn't have known if I hadn't made it without that. So yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really yeah. fascinating, Lori. I'm excited yeah. to hear what people think of it. So when people make this recipe, be sure to leave comments and let us know what you think. Yeah, that would be great. So yeah. And I think the ginkgo and the gota cola brighten the brain enough that, mm -hmm. you know, they overdo the valerian in terms of sedation. So. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Is valerian a plant that you would use with animals? I have to, so I have to be like totally upfront and honest. I have no, like very little experience using herbs with animals. The only time I've ever done that was with my own cat. He, he had constipation. And so I gave him slippery elm, like through it, like with a, a syringe. And that was the only time. So I have like, we're really like no knowledge on my part. So I'm going to do my <laughs> best to answer some, you know, ask general questions. But my first no, one being, does valerian work with animals? So I think we all know about catnip, you know, whether we want to call it kitty crack or right. not. Okay, yeah. So actually two thirds of cats have the gene that makes catnip euphoric to them. Mm -hmm. And one third respond like dogs and like humans where it's just mildly sedating, relaxing, whatever. So it's interesting. It's a genetic thing. But valerian hits the same gene. 
And when I was studying valerian with Rosemary Gladstar, you know, we're all outside and she's picking the fresh herbs as she talks about them. She had this huge basket with valerian spun around in it because she had the aerial parts. Mm-hmm. And her cat came and laid right in the middle of the basket. Oh, wow. I wish, you know, it was a little before camera phones, but it would have been just an amazing picture to show. But so Valerian with cats is the same as catnip. Two thirds of them are going to get excited and have that euphoric kind of response. But I've actually, I have witnessed that now that you mentioned, I had just simply forgotten, but I ordered, you know, like a pound or two of fresh Valerian roots and had it in a paper bag that, you know, was going to process it. And I was living with another cat at the time and the cat totally went berserk for it. And I had no idea, you know, that that was going to be a response. So I remember just being like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So I use it more, you know, in terms of sedation and that kind of thing for dogs. I actually like to mix it with catnip and it's really nice for like travel anxiety, thunderstorm anxiety, separation anxiety, and basically any anxiety, coming to the vet anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, as long as they're healthy and there's no reason they can't have those herbs. But in general, catnip and valerian are both pretty safe for, for dogs and, you know, horses too, goats, but Horse cats too. are cats are the weird ones. So they're yeah. weird about a lot of other things too, biologically. <laughs> What I've noticed with when I do catnip for my cat is he like gets really into it and he gets like just kind of gets very excited and kind of like jumps around for a little bit. And then he's just like, it's like kind of this increase, you know, and then he just like, and then he relaxes. Is that kind of a typical thing with catnip that is like kind of, they go crazy for it and then they relax? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And so if you did valerian, it would be the same thing because like I said, it's Mm -hmm. the same genetic predisposition. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Is there anything else you'd like to share about Valerian? I think it's really cool that the flowers, you know, I mean, what a top and bottom plant, right? I mean, Mm. people call the the roots stinky feet. And plus the roots have essential oils. How many roots have essential oils? I just think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And but the flowers are perfume. I mean, they smell divine. They're these mm-hmm. soft, light, whitish pink, and mm-hmm. and they just are, they are perfume. So I think I think it's just such a cool plant that the top and bottom are so different. It's kind of not exactly a doctrine of signatures, but you know it works so differently in different constitutions, and it's mm-hmm. kind of you know the top and the bottom are so different. So in some ways, that kind of makes sense to me. So, mm. yeah. It's do you I I don't personally work with the flowers a lot just for like not even lack of interest I just haven't like really done that much have you worked with the flowers very much no I just no. enjoy them in my garden yeah <laughs> me too so good yeah so, yes I know, I'm the person who can't even pick my calendula flowers and I know mm-hmm. they grow better and they make more if you pick them but they're so pretty yeah know? yeah I'm not good at picking flowers at all I have to buy my flowers because I just I can't I can't pick them <laughs> I have similar situation I have learned to pick my calendula I will say because yes they do grow back stronger and and I need the valerian for lots of medicine making but I do have this problem as well Lori that I have a very difficult time like lavender is the worst one for me because the lavender you know you typically you want to harvest that before it flowers like when it's just a bud still and that's just like it's so hard for me to do it at that stage when it's just a bud and then I just think of all the bees that aren't going to be on the flowers. And plus, they're just beautiful. So aesthetically, you know, it's nice to have the lavender in the garden. And anyway, so I I feel you on this one. Yeah. 
So people always say to me, oh, do you harvest your own herbs? And I'm kind of like, no, I grow them. And (laughs) I let them grow. (laughs) That is so funny. I'm very much the same way. (laughs) Only if I have excess do I manage to harvest. Mm -hmm. I will say with valerian, what I do with valerian is I let it flower and, you know, the bees love it. It's always so much fun. There's often, where I live, there's often goldenrod spiders on the valerian, which are really cool. And so I'll, you know, let the flowers do all that they can, but I do like to cut them back once they've done their thing, because otherwise I have valerian everywhere, which I don't mind it spreading a bit, but it can just be quite the, quite the spreader. So I do not have that luxury. My, no? I, interesting. I'm constantly nursing mine along and I oh, have like interesting. one or two little plants. It doesn't grow prolifically here. But, uh, huh. Into so, a spider too. Yeah. What zone are you in? Do you know USDA zone? I think I'm in five. So I'm on the, I'm in the mid-Atlantic east coast. So, yeah. but I think the east versus west makes a big difference. So. Mm, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, lovely i love that you love valerian so much because i i do as well but i i think we're a rare crowd you know there's not a lot of people who like are ready to just be like valerian i love it so much in fact so many people dislike it because of because they're weird i'll just say it (laughs) you know i'm sitting here thinking i must be the weird one though because you know what my other favorite herb is stinging nettles like okay. what does that say about me? The stinkiest one and the stingiest one are my two mm-hmm. That is fascinating, Lori. I feel like we could do like some kind of personality <laughs> <laughs> assessment based on this two plants that are. But you know what's interesting is those are two plants that are not loved by general people because you know stinging nettle obviously people have the association like all they know about stinging nettles it hurts them when they go through the woods or whatever right these are definitely herbalist herbs right they're They're the herbalist herbs (laughs) yes and i have to say so i took four stinging nettle plants from rosemary gladstar again when i did my apprenticeship she i have pictures of it i mean her patch was just you know massive Mm-hmm. And so she's like, anybody who wants to take it, take some. And I took four plants and my patch is now massive and oh. I give it away all the time from her, you know, from her heart through my heart to people. But I talk to the patch and it doesn't sting me. Mm. Like I just go out there and I'm like, okay, it's time for me to harvest you. You know, I want to make eggs. I want to make spanakopita. I want to make whatever I want with you. I'm going to cut you back. And uh, you know, I'm going to take some to eat. I love you. And they'll start to sting me and I'll be like, no, no, it's me. Remember? And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. And they don't, they don't sting me. My husband, if he, if I'm traveling teaching and he wants to eat nettles, he goes in with welding gloves. right? (laughs) And I'm like, no, no, dears, don't sting me. Remember who I am. And they're like, okay. So Oh, I so love definitely. your connections with the plants, Lori. Like yeah. you've got, like you're like, what? Valerian smells wonderful. It's perfume and <laughs> petals don't sting me. I love it. That's like, you know, we often talk about as herbalists is forming relationships with the plants. And these are like real ways that you formed this relationship with yeah. these plants. I think that comes from ooing and eyeing with my grandmother. I definitely mm. do. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm kind of curious about that. Like your grandmother would take you out to the garden and She'd be like, check out this flower and just, you know, kind of wait for you to. And I was a reluctant, you know, preteen teenager. And she'd be like, Mm. you have to ooh and ah, you know, and she'd be like, you have to ooh and ah over my plants. Like literally I'd have to be like, 
ooh, ah, you know, mm-hmm. it was very silly, but it was, it instilled something in me. And the other thing I had to ooh and ah over was sunsets. And I think of her when the sunset's beautiful, Aww. I always think of her and I say, ooh, ah, it really is beautiful. You know, Aww. those things that they put in you when you're young that you don't appreciate then, but you appreciate later. It's, it's definitely worth it. <laughs> so. Oh, I really, I think I would have loved your grandmother because it sounds yeah. like something I would do, you know, like, yeah. no, you have to ooh and ah now. <laughs> yeah. I can see myself doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a totally different story when it's like I was envisioning you being like six years old and doing that, but that's a very yeah. different thing thinking like preteen because there's a little bit more resistance there potentially. I think it started when I was, you know, young, but I think it went all the way through all the years. I always had, you know, and by the time I was 20, I was just like, sure, come on, let's go ooh and ah over your plants. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> Lovely. Well, you mentioned that you're no longer in, you don't have your solo practice anymore as a vet, but you are teaching and you have a school. And I'd like to hear more about that. I'm sure there's people out there wondering, like, I would like to use herbs with my animals. (laughs) So this is an interesting story. I was at, I took Rosemary's apprenticeship and then through Rosemary, I, she advertised what was then Thai Sophia. And they had a master's in herbalism. And so I said to her, I said, should I do this? And she's like, you really should. And I went and got my master's and all of that. And I was at a veterinary conference. And I said to one of the elder herbalists in veterinary medicine, how do you learn it for animals? And she just looked at me. She's very blunt. And she's just kind of, she's just blunt. We're good friends now. But she looked at me. She said, oh, you don't. You just learn human and you train yourself. And in that moment, I knew I was going to write a class. Hmm. In that moment, I was like, this is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody can do that. And it was interesting. I was just on another veterinary podcast. And she's like, how did you learn to translate it? And I think that the university I went to, I went to University of Penn Veterinary School. They talked a lot about humans. It was just another comparative species, dog, cat, horse, human kind of thing. Hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think it was a little easier for me, but I don't think it is easy for everyone. And I felt like there there has to be a course dedicated for veterinarians and it has to be, you know, herbs have to be hands-on. I'm not, I mean, there's a lot you can learn online, but the actual herbs, like we've been talking about, you know, the valerian and the nettles, you have, you have to interact with them. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I needed to write a hands-on course and I thought I would do it after my kids graduated high school. But Andrea and Matthias, who I'm sure you know well, (laughs) Andrea looked at me one day and I said, you know, I'm going to do this eventually. And she's like, what are you waiting for, Lori? And it was while I was in, I think, I think I had spoken to this vet before I did my master's and because it was while I was in my master's and the head of Thai Sophia was a guy named Bob Duggan. And he taught one day, like it was just him all day. And we walked in at eight o'clock in the morning. He said, you have 15 minutes, whatever you need to do before you die, you need to do it now. And I'm going to try not to cry. And all of this happened in like the same time frame. Mm. And I walked out of that class and it was really about living in the moment. And I called my husband. I said, when we get home, I have to talk. It's like eight o'clock at night, you know, when we're done and I drive home and all that. And I'm like, I have to close my practice. You know, it's, I have to do this now between oh. Andrea and him, I have to do this now. And that was January. And I closed my practice in August. And 
I started teaching more, you know, at general conferences. Mm-hmm. And it took me three years with another veterinarian friend of mine to write the full apprenticeship course that we teach. Wow. We did it and we started it and it's been successful and it's, you know, everything went down in COVID. It's coming back and the interest is there and people are realizing their clients are using this on their animals and they don't know what they're using and people are really starting to see it. So it feels it feels really good. And, and I teach other weekend classes, you know, it's not just one apprenticeship, but there's other, you know, standalone weekend classes that I teach or, or and have other people affiliated who teach as well. So how long is that apprenticeship? It is five three-day weekends. Okay. We spread it out. It's September, October, November, and then we take a winter break and then it's March and April. And it's really cool to see during the break. We, you know, we have homework and we have, you know, online, you know, group chat kind of keep in touch stuff. When they come back, you know, they've started using it, they've started implementing it and where they leave in November and where they come back in March is great. So it's nice to take that break and let them get a little confidence and then come back mm-hmm. with that fresh, mm. fresh place to be. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So. Well, you mentioned, you know, obviously herbs for animals is not the exact same thing as herbs for humans. And I'm sure there's right. probably a, a thousand and one different ways or <laughs> ways that are different. I'm curious if you could share one, like one that might be surprising to people of like, this is where things veer off in a different path. Hmm. I don't know that it's that simple. I think it's herb by herb. So cats Mm -hmm. are just weird. And like, but we love them. Oh yeah. (laughs) They will die. If you give them one Tylenol, they will die. And yet in human medicine, Tylenol is, you know, what we give babies and pregnant mothers, and it's supposed to be so incredibly safe. And mm-hmm. we could debate NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, but that's a whole different topic. But cats, it will kill them instantly. So they are missing enzymes in their kidneys. They don't process things the same way that other species do. And then horses and cows and goats and sheep, they digest in in a different part of their digestive tract than dogs, cats, and humans. So all of these things play into it. So I don't think it's, you know, there's not one place it veers off. It's it's about where you really do need to know phytopharmacology as well as understanding, you know, the physiology of the species to Hmm. understand kind of the differences and where, where it affects and where it doesn't. But by and large, it's not terribly different. The species specifics are not terribly different. Hmm. So I imagine like dosage is probably different. Like you said, cats, like the, you know, one thing I know about cats is like no essential oils. That's right. But this, again, and that's part of, <laughs> they don't have, I'm glad you said that they don't, that's one of the enzymes they don't have is what absorbs mm-hmm. essential oils. And I'd love to get on my soapbox about that for two seconds, if I can, sure, because yeah. Step on up. there are people, including veterinarians who think it's okay. Oh, you know, the cat didn't have any reaction. I put them on and the cat didn't have any reaction, but what it does is it affects the kidneys. And one of the main ways the cats die anyway is of kidney failure. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you may not see it in that instantaneous moment, 
but you're shortening the lifespan of that kidney. So your cat is now going to die at eight instead of at 12 or 12 mm -hmm. instead of at 16 because of essential oils. And I think because it doesn't show for years and years, people don't realize how damaging essential oils are to cats, but they oh, definitely wow. are. Hmm. I didn't so. realize that. I thought it had more of an acute reaction. Right. So, but the, there's a very problematic long-term reaction too. Yes. And that's, that's most people think, well, if I don't see an acute reaction, it's fine. And that's just not accurate. And uh, I'm actually taking an essential oils class right now because I always feel like knowing herbs, I want to know everything about them. So essential oils, are, sense from you. Yeah. <laughs> essential oils are such a big part of the herbs that while as an herbalist, I still want to use the whole plant. Mm -hmm. I still, it's great to understand the essential oils in the plants as a specific mm -hmm. constituent group. You know, plants, I always say plants are smarter than us. The amount of essential oils in the plant is safe. You know, they know how right. much is there, but when we concentrate it, uh, you know, I always feel kind of like essential oils are more like pharmaceuticals because they may be more than one phytochemical, but they're still very concentrated. And when we mm -hmm. concentrate and take out all the buffers and everything else, that's mm -hmm. when we run into trouble. You know, mm -hmm. when we leave the plants alone, generally they take care of us. Yeah. And us includes, you know, my whole family, which is, has a lot of four-legged components. So. Yeah. <laughs> So we have one four-legged family member, Monsieur Kekumpois. He's our tuxedo cat, and he is the center of our lives. And when we got him, someone gave him to us, and he was fairly feral at the time and was very unsure about being indoors and very unsure about us. And it took him like six months before he really warmed up to us. And he's still very like anxious around other people, but he is like our buddy, and we're very much a part of his pride, and we have all of our you know, routines that we do throughout the day and everything. Anyway, I love him so much. My, I know now, well, I've known for a long time, don't put essential oils on the cat. Is there anything that you would recommend to like the kind of like a preventive or holistic health thing in general for cats so that he can stay a part of our living family for a long time? So I think the thing that people miss about cats is they are what are called obligate carnivores which means they should really be eating only animal flesh except for what is in like the stomach of a mouse or a songbird, which is like one pea and one grain of, you know, wheat or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think most commercial food is way too carbohydrate loaded. I think people are afraid of protein, but we as holistic people should understand that the body is made up of a lot more than muscle, which is protein. You know, there's fat, there's connective tissue, there's nerves, there's blood, and all of that feeds into what cats are supposed to be eating. But the other thing I will say about that before people go out and just start feeding meat to their animals is cats need one specific amino acid called taurine in way higher doses than any other species. They need it about 60 times what any other species has. And the only species that has that to ingest is the mouse. Huh, interesting. So if, unless you are feeding mice, mm -hmm. you have to supplement with taurine if you are. Oh, interesting. Feeding. So. I wish he wow. was a better mouser, but he does go and get the mice from time to time. So yeah, we're lucky he doesn't go after birds. One time he brought in a live rubber boa snake and 
we didn't realize it was still alive at first and Xavier picked it up and it started moving, which was hilarious for me to watch him have the surprise of the snake being alive, but wasn't hilarious for him. It's still something that can make me laugh though every time I think about it. But luckily that it was still, it was completely unharmed and still alive. So we were able to take it out, which is nice because rubber boas are very sweet snakes. But yeah, I, I kind of wish he would have more, but I wonder if he like gets enough, you know, if like there's something right. in his body that's like, okay, time for another mouse. Well, what you can always do is feed the commercial cat food and feed extra meat on the side. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I definitely, he is our, you know, happy thought of the day. He just, there's something so calming about having a cat around too, because I feel like he teaches me what's important, which is like snuggling and sleeping (laughs) and being calm. Being clean. Yeah, being clean. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep, that's true too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for answering that question for me. Oh, yeah. Just my personal question. All right. I appreciate it so much. Any chance we might get a book from you someday? Yes. I'm actually working on a book right now. I actually did not do my apprenticeship this year. I took a sabbatical year so I could write Mm. a veterinary book. There is one on the market and it was written in 2007. And the authors, unfortunately, have chosen not to update it. So it's really time for a fresher veterinary herbal book. And it's a lot to write a book. You have two books, both of which I love and I quote and I use all the time and cook from. It's a lot. So I'm working on it. But it's... it's What kind of book will it be? Is it going to be like a textbook or is it going to be like for the layperson or... It'll be a little more veterinary than that. I think, you know, again, if you're an herbalist, it will be fine. Mm-hmm. but it's going to be basically straight monographs for animals. You know, that's oh, lovely. a big focus. I mean, there will be, you know, some introductory, but basically it's going to be monographs for the veterinary. So more textbooky. Oh, it's going to be wonderful, Lori. Cause again, I don't know much about animals and herbs and, but it's, I get questions all the time from people all over the world about all sorts of things. And when people ask about herbs and animals, I can't respond with experience, but you're right. There's not really like, we have this incredible bounty of an amazing herbal books that are being published right now. And there's, you know, a hundred herbal books of great quality that you could recommend for humans. I mean, but there's really not this incredible collection of herbs and animals. So I'm very excited. There's two books. One for lay people, one for veterinarians, and they're both older. One, older. The lay people one is by Greg Tilford. I think it's yes, called that's, Herb that's Protect. that's the only one yeah. I know to recommend, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And the veterinary one is called Veterinary Herbal Medicine. It's a very direct title yeah. by Barbara Fugera and Susan Wynn. And it's a great book. But again, it was published in 2007. So, you know, our knowledge has broadened since then. Yeah. But mine, you know, the monographs will be... You know, it sounds very boring, but in my traditional part, I always try to put a lot of quotes from like the eclectics and older texts and things and put some fun in there. So it won't be nice. nice. Hopefully it won't be too monographs. Boring. That's not boring. That's the best thing ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's my, I think so. my unbiased <laughs> opinion. <laughs> but yeah, that's the focus of it. So I've been working on it in between taking an essential oils class and still teaching, but <laughs> right. trying to teach a little less. So. Oh, you'll definitely have to contact me when you're ready to publish that because I want to have you back on the show and share that with everyone. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Lori, for our last question today, I would love to hear more about your herbal teachers, whoever you'd like to share about. So, I mean, it starts and ends with Rosemary, God's star, of course. I've, I've appreciated a lot of other people in between. Don't get me wrong. You know, I can't 
I don't know what my life would look like without her. Mm-hmm. You know, I just hear her going, oh, honey, you got this in that mm-hmm. her voice, you know, her presence is like a hug. Mm-hmm. And so how can you not love the herbs when your first experience is, is her? And, mm-hmm. you know, and I still, I remember when I took her class thinking, well, why would I ever need to study with anybody else? I mean, she's Rosemary, you know? Mm-hmm. And she was the one who's always like, honey, you need to study with other people. You need to learn other things. So even as my mentor, she's mentored me to have other mentors, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just, yeah, and she calls, uh, she calls herself my children's green auntie witch. So, Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, so she and I, you know, we're, we're regularly in touch. Oh, you know, she's definitely, she's definitely where it starts for me. So, and I, mm-hmm. like I said, you know, then I went on and I did my master's and I had great teachers and I've studied with, you know, plenty of other people in the veterinary and the human world, but you know, when it comes right down to it, mm-hmm. I'm a rosemary person <laughs> you know, forever. So, yeah. so, I feel like I just personality wise, I don't believe in having regret regrets. And I like to say I don't have regrets. But if there was something like approaching a regret, it would be that I didn't get to study with her in person. I did try to go on one of her overseas trips, but I at like, the year I was ready for it was like, I didn't realize her last year was the year before. So that was kind of heartbreaking Uh, for me, but I have had the deep pleasure of getting to know her and spend time with her. And there is something like for people who haven't met Rosemary, there is an incredible presence that she brings that I think is just one of her, you know, just her greatest gifts. Like when you're with her, you're the only one with her, you know, she's just so focused and present. And then she does like, she's such an interesting combination of reverence as well as like irreverence like, you know she'll like crack a joke that'll like make my jaw drop yep. while being you know this very deeply spiritual being who's very much you know connected to the plants and connected to people and yeah you said you didn't know who you would be without rosemary i think herbalism in the united states who what would that look like now i mean she has shaped it you know in so many different ways so yeah yeah we could talk about rosemary all day I have to tell you the story of how I ended up in her class. Oh, please do. Again, when I was starting to have kids and looking at this other path, I got this magazine called Body and Soul, which no longer exists, which is too bad because it was a really nice magazine. And they did an expose of her because, you know, everybody holistic does an expose of her. And it was about her home study and her apprenticeship and all of that. And in it, it mentioned that a veterinarian had taken her class. And I thought, oh, well, if a vet can take it, you know, I'm a vet. And so I tried to reach this vet and he was like off in, I don't know, somewhere in Southeast Asia or something for like an extended six month trip or whatever. So I never spoke to him and I signed up and did it. It winds up, it was like her local vet and her, you know, the one who took care of her animals who needed to know Mm -hmm. what she was talking about. (laughs) He's not actually a practicing veterinary herbalist, Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, thank goodness he was in that article because without it, you know, I would have just chalked it off as this is all human. And it was that little comment that made me know. So, Mm. and I went back through her whole home study during COVID and reread the whole thing. And it's amazing how much more I got out of it going through it a second time with more knowledge, you know, the stuff that was too much for me the first time. So, Mm -hmm. 
Oh, well, how cool that you're able to do that and yeah, just yeah. see it through a whole different lens. I have to say the other thing I did during COVID, I mentioned this to you in advance, but I just have to plug you because I'm such a geek fan. Oh, of yours, so sweet. <laughs> is Wild Remedies came out right before COVID or right around the start mm -hmm. of COVID. Mm -hmm. And for anybody who has seen the movie, Julie and Julia, somebody named Julie cooks through Julia. Wow, I lost her last name. Julia Childs. Julia Childs cookbook from start to finish. And so I took yours, Wild Remedies, because it is seasonal. And again, my ecosystem is different from yours. But what herbs I had, I cooked through that book during COVID and it gave me something really wonderful to do. Oh, I love that you just like really dived into it. I'm curious, like, again, this personal question, was there a recipe that was a favorite? Is there one that stands out? So you know what I make all the time in the what? spring, it's seasonally, is your dandelion cake. But I make it as muffins. Ooh, and pretty. so like in the spring, my students eat your dandelion cake as muffins. Oh, I love I, that. My older son adores them, and he's even willing to pick the dandelions for me to make your dandelion cake as muffins. Oh, fun! Yes. Oh, they're that just is a staple in my house in dandelion season. Oh, I love so, that. <sighs> yes, I think that's actually from Alchemy of Herbs, but no, still. no, I think it's in Wild Remedies. Dandelion cake is, is in. Yeah, I think so. I do get the two confused now, but yeah. I think so. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's a big favorite. But yes, there's lots of things I've made. So yeah, well, thank you so much. I'm, thanks for sharing that with me too. It's not my personal curiosity. It's been really wonderful to get to know you, Lori. I'm so glad yeah. that someone recommended to get you on the show. Thank and you. yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for being here and sharing your Valyrian love and your animal herbs wisdom with yeah. us. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to you quasi face to face. Quasi. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's been wonderful. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Don't forget to head over to the show notes at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com to download your beautifully illustrated recipe card and to get a transcript of the show. There you'll also be able to sign up for my weekly newsletter, which is the best way to stay in touch with me. And the best way to check out Dr. Doman's offerings is at www.purplemoonherbstudies.com. If you'd like more herbal episodes to come your way, then one of the best ways to support this podcast is by subscribing on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. I'd also love to hear your comments about this episode. What's your biggest takeaways? I deeply believe that this world needs more herbalists and plant-centered folks, and I'm so glad that you're here as part of this herbal community. Also, a big round of thanks to the people all over the world who make this podcast happen week to week. Nicole Paul is the project manager who oversees the whole operation from guest outreach to writing show notes to actually uploading each episode and so many other things I don't even know. She really holds this whole thing together. Francesca is our fabulous video and audio editor. She not only makes listening more pleasant, she also adds beauty to the YouTube videos with plant images and video overlays. Tatiana Rusikova is the botanical illustrator who creates gorgeous plant and recipe illustrations for us. I love them. I know that you do too. Christy edits the recipe cards and then Jenny creates them as well as the thumbnail images for YouTube. Michelle is the tech wizard behind the scenes and Karen is our student services coordinator and customer support. For those of you who like to read along, Jennifer is who creates the transcripts each week. Xavier, my handsome French husband, is the cameraman and website IT guy. Thanks to Rising Appalachia for their beautiful song, Resilience. 
Find more of their music at risingappalachia.com. It takes an herbal village to make it all happen, including you. Okay, you've lasted to the very end of the show, which means you get a gold star and this herbal tidbit. Well, for this herbal tidbit, I looked into recent research on valerian and I found this study published in October of 2023. In this study, 80 adult subjects with sleep complaints were randomized to either receive valerian officinalis extract or a placebo for eight weeks in a double-blind, placebo-controlled, parallel clinical study. So, it was well-designed. The results of this study were that those taking the valerian extract showed a decrease in anxiety, a decrease in daytime drowsiness, and an increased feeling of waking up refreshed compared to those who were taking the placebo. The researchers concluded that valerian extract supplementation significantly improved various subjective and objective parameters of sleep in young subjects with mild insomnia symptoms, such as overall sleep quality, sleep latency, sleep efficiency, and total sleep time. We also observed decreased anxiety and daytime sleepiness and improved feeling of being refreshed after waking up with a valerian extract supplementation. Valerian extract was found to be safe and well-tolerated throughout the study. So that's the study. I think it's interesting they didn't mention, and maybe because I didn't read the whole study because I didn't have access to it, but they didn't mention that there were anybody who had an opposite reaction like we often see in the herbal world. But valerian was well accepted and had a lot of benefits. As you know, I love valerian, and I also have a solo show all about valerian that you can check out either through your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. Here's to valerian. <laughs> 